0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, from God's purpose for His creation to His promise to Abraham. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to finish out this chapter uh, today. Today, as we finish chapter 3, I would imagine that chapter 3 is not high on the list of favorite chapters of the Bible that most people will say, oh man, I just love reading through Genesis 3, right? Or likewise, there's probably not many favorite verses pulled out of Genesis 3 as as my, this is my life verse, right? Um, It's probably not happening too much. However, um, to be honest with you, it should be. Not only do we get a correct diagnosis of what is wrong with us in the world around us, as in what we'll see today is within this chapter is a wonderful, great promise that God is going to fix what is wrong. Um, so it's, it's wonderful that it diagnoses everything As we look around and look inside of our hearts and see what's going on with the world around us and with our own walk with God, our our own relationships with one another. Genesis 3, and it has kind of peeled back the layer of our hearts and shown us some of the things that is wrong. Some of the things that we can see and how to apply the gospel... What Jesus has done, as you've heard already spoken many times, and, and we'll remind that to you until the day I can't do that anymore because that is what we need the most is to be reminded of the gospel so that we can actually believe the gospel, right? We have learned so far in this chapter... Um, that we are born with an inner man and uh, that is completely at rebellion against God. And that's every single human being. So we cannot believe the lie that the culture teaches us that everybody's good. We just need to get them the right education and the right environment and everything will turn out wonderful. Well, how's that working out? They've been working at that probably for 70 years, that whole idea... It's just not working out all that good, is it? Well, that's because we were born separated from God. We were born in rebellion against God and our hearts are are bent a certain way and because of that, it affects everything around us. It affects our relationships that we have all around us. We know that this inner man consist of our thinking, our desiring, and our willing, right? And two weeks back, we looked at how we desire to judge God's word as Satan tempted Eve, right? She mocked God's, he mocked God's word saying, did God really say that? And what what he's kind of doing is gave Eve permission to judge God's word. And that's what we do quite often, is it not? Because many times we know God's Word, we know what God's Word says, but yet we still step into what our flesh wants, and we step into sin. And what we do is we believe the lie, the lie being that you surely won't die, right? You surely won't die. We believe the lie, and because um, we judge His Word and believe the lie, we act and choose wrongly. Again, that was two weeks ago. Marty showed us last week that all exposed sin... It always generates a response. All sin, every time that a sin is exposed, it generates a response, either to the people around us or to our own hearts. And and the main thing that we do, and the main thing we saw Adam and Eve do, is what do we do? Is, is we hide? Right. That's what we do when we we sin. We hide. We we don't. You know, we are we're, we're not open enough that we go to our brother and sister and say, I've sinned against you. And we we certainly many times are reluctant to go to God. Yet again, and say, Father, I've sinned against you yet again. But yet, that's what he has called us to do. So all exposed sin generates a response. And the amazing thing, the way God designed everything, is when Jesus left the thirst, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the main thing that the Holy Spirit does is what? Convicts us of sin. So you can't get around it. Your sin will be exposed one way or another. Well, I pray that it get exposed on this side of judgment, because if it doesn't get exposed until judgment day, that means you've missed the boat. That the Spirit hasn't convicted you, so you may repent. And that's a scary place to be, brothers and sisters. So, exposed sin always generates a response. And and we see that guilt, shame, and fear are kind of at the root of these things. There are other branches to that, but guilt, shame, and fear is is like the big three that we can hang our hat on just about with every sin as as we look at it and dig deep down into it. We see in those verses the piercing question God asks it's the question that He asked all of us Who told you that you were naked? Because isn't that why we hide? Because we think we're naked, we've been exposed, our sin has been exposed? And that's the exposing question that God asks us. Who told you that you were naked, right? Today's passage follows along the same idea of, of Marty's message, except now we see God's response to expose sin, right? Right? His response to expose, and we're going to see what what God has done. And again, this is a, a diagnosis. This is helping us see. Okay, as I think through my life and think through why I have, I, I desire certain things and and I, I chase after certain things, He's going to drill down into our hearts of the the woman and of the man and gives us some more diagnosis to try to help us see why we consistently choose wrongly and. And we're all in the same boat. We are saved. We are being saved. And one day we will be saved. Because God is holy. Justice has to happen. Yet our God, the God that we serve, is very, very merciful. He's going to judge sin. And what I would like us to see today, it's one simple sentence and one simple thing, and it's, It's it's counterintuitive to everything that we think about in in the culture that we live in. And that would have been the same 50 years ago, 100 years ago, or 200 years ago. But to to say this sentence and, and, and to mean it and to honestly do what it says is just counterintuitive to who we are. Which should make you think, why is it so counterintuitive? Well, it's because of what Genesis is telling us. It's because our hearts are bent a certain way. And it's this sentence. We should rejoice in God's salvation through judgment. We should rejoice in his salvation through judgment. So let me read the passage, and I'll pray, and we'll dive in. Genesis 3, 14 through 24. It's where we left off. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. You shall return. The man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living things. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of the skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he eat he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, I just ask for your help today, Lord. Father, I I just ask for your spirit to dwell in us, work in us. Lord, just use me to to say what this passage is, is showing us, Lord. And Lord, again... I beg the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to rejoice. To be able to see that we serve in the Creator of all things that we've already seen in the first two chapters, the Creator of all things is a just, merciful God, and and He will justly judge, although He has and is being patient. Lord, I I just pray that as we leave here today, that, that we can rejoice. That we have been saved. And just see a little bit more what we have been saved from. And to help us a little bit more to fight sin. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Billy Graham told this story. He said, a number of years ago, I was stopped for driving too fast in a speed zone. And in the courtroom, I pleaded guilty. The judge was not only friendly, but embarrassed for me to be in his court. Obviously, Billy Graham being one of the most known people of his time. The fine was $10, so obviously this was some time ago. (laughs) Uh, If he let me go free, it would have been inconsistent with justice. The The penalty had to be paid, either by me or someone else. He goes on to say, judgment is consistent with love. Judgment is consistent with love. A God of love must be a God of justice. It is because God loves that he is just. His justice balances his love and makes both love and justice meaningful. Now, just as the local authorities... Set the speed limit on the road that Billy Graham received his ticket. God, the ultimate authority, set the rules for his garden. He said, You can eat of any tree except for one. And Adam and Eve both broke that rule. God commanded Adam not to eat from the tree. It is God's world. This is the part we don't like. It is God's world. And he has the right to make the rules. There is nothing unfair or deceptive about this command, nor is keeping it beyond Adam's physical ability. God was not asking him something that he could not do. After the man and woman transgressed the command, God takes the initiative. So expose sin, now God's going to act. Exposed sin generates a response. God justly keeps his word to Adam. But because he loves us, justice is lavished with mercy. Is that the God that you worship each and every day? The God that is just and dulls out justice and also the one that loves us and is full of mercy, right? It's not the God who judges is in the Old Testament and the God of love is in the New Testament. That's just a lie. That's just flat out a lie. He, he's the God of love from beginning to end. Right? He's the God of love from beginning. To end. God does not owe us kindness, brother and sister. He does not owe us patience. He has every right to implement the promised punishment with no questions asked whatsoever. He's God. He could have put Adam and Eve to death on the spot. However, after hearing what Adam and Eve had to say and hearing their unwillingness to take responsibility as they did the he said, you said, you said, they did it, he did it, point to blame game. But after hearing that they would not take responsibility, God announces his judgment. And within those three announcements, we see mercy poured out, even in his judgment. We see the justice of God and the mercy of God all at the same time. Different judgments fall on the three guilty parties, but only the serpent is absolutely condemned. Only the serpent is condemned. Now the ground is cursed, obviously. We read that. But only the serpent is absolutely condemned. And I would like to deal with the three guilty parties in different order than they come within our passage today. First, I would like to look at what God says to the woman and then the man and then we'll leave the serpent to the end. Because I believe in the serpent, although there is good news and mercy and grace in what he says to the woman and the man. The the most good news, the greatest good news is what he has to say to the serpent. So let's look at the woman. Let's look at what God says to the woman. So in Genesis 3:16, He says this to the woman: He said, "I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing; in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but you, he shall rule over you." So what we're going to see in, in each one of these judgments is like a, a dual thing happen. First, He pronounces something against a life function. Like, this is, this is your life function, and I'm going to change it because of judgment, right? And then the other side, you're going to see him talk about, okay, it's going to also affect your relationship. So this is God's judgment. It's a life function, and it's a relationship that's going to be affected by what Adam and Eve did by taking the knowledge of the good from the tree of the good and evil. So the life function that he, he, he calls out for Eve is this, the joyous function of childbirth is now invaded with pain. He will multiply the pain is, is what God says. Now, I'm not sure and it doesn't tell us if that means that if nothing happened, if Eve would have gave birth in the garden and, and not have pain. I'm not sure of that it doesn't tell us that nobody knows that. Um, But I've been in the room when this happens, and I know that this is true, okay? Um, I've never obviously experienced it, and um, some of you ladies have experienced this, um, but this is the life function that is being affected by what Eve has done from the garden. And we see this all through the Old Testament, we see this, this judgment come through the Old Testament where we see many of the, the women, that even some of the women that we read in the Bible, and we know that there had to be many others who were barren, who couldn't have children, and, and have difficulties. So I can't say and, and give you the, the whys to it, but I could just say this is the way it is because from what Genesis 3 is telling us. So that's the life function. The relationship is because of sin. Ladies, your desire is now your husband instead of God. So, what the Bible is showing us, what the Bible is saying to us is the woman's hearts, because of the judgment of God, because of what what Eve and sin has done, they're the leaning, the bent of your heart. It is going to be desiring your husband over God. And there's also a, a flip side to that, where you want to rule and dominate over your husband instead of falling into the God's purpose and plan. Whenever he says that a husband is to is I mean a woman is to submit to her husband as he always as he is treating her as Christ treats her. The church, loving, submissive, giving, being humble towards her, right? Kidner says it best. He's a commentator. He says, To love and cherish becomes to desire and to dominate. So to love and cherish becomes to desire and to dominate. So as God works on your hearts, ladies, you're moving from one side to the other, right? You're born this way. This is what the Bible says. You're born that you want to dominate the husband, and you now desire the husband more than you desire God. However that works out in your heart. I'm not a woman. I'm not sure. I have some ideas because I'm married, been married for a good while. In fact, I would say that one breaking point in our marriage, and I I remember it so vividly. I could tell you where I was. I was delivering American Wooden cabinets in Jersey. And you know how every once in a while. I mean, we had a lot of stress because I was an over-road truck driver. So I was gone a whole lot. And at this point in time in our our marriage, I was leaving on on, sun, on Sunday night and getting back on Friday. And I was delivering a load on a Monday. And, and we had some tussle me leaving. It's always a tense point every time it's time for me to leave. The kids don't want me to leave. Charity doesn't want me to leave. I don't want to leave, so I'm acting like an idiot. Um, and uh, I just remember that for whatever reason as I was praying that Monday morning while they were unloading my thing, and I was talking, finally got, talked to my wife and, and she was just being miserable. And I simply said to her, it is It is not my job to make you happy. If you don't seek your happiness in God, this this isn't going to work. I don't know where that came from. That's not, you know, Job being so smart or anything like that. That that, that just came seemed to come from God. And it was amazing. Because by the time I worked my way through, I think I got I got in early that week uh, to, to stop in and my wife was a different person. I, I saw this idea. This idea that, that, you know, she was desiring and mad at me because I'm leaving. And, and you know, she, her desire was for me, me, me. And, then, and God allowed me to, to push her and, and point her to a different direction. To God. And it, it seems like ever since that day, although, you know, everybody has ups and downs. She doesn't come to me to make her happy. She goes to our Lord and Savior. That's just been my experience. Again, it's hard for me to stand up here and talk about a woman's heart because I don't experience that. But but I truly believe that the one way I thought about it is, is the idea that Genesis, I mean, the... the uh, the Ephesians passage is that maybe the Eve before the fall, if she would have heard the Ephesians passage, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, there would be absolutely no no pushback, no cringe, no nothing. But but maybe on this side of things, maybe you ladies feel that a little bit. And I know it's been compounded because of history. I get that, right? I get that. But we're talking about the Word of God. And we're talking again about how He's designed things. So it it seems to me that maybe that is what He's saying here. Is, ladies, maybe just be aware of this. And and go to Him and, and ask Him to help you with this. And let me just say this, since we're here, men... Husbands, especially, and those that are, are not married yet, you, you put this in the bank. That way, whenever that happens, if you're called to that, because some people are called to be single. I know Paul says that. But you can put this in your, your bank and say, okay, when this time comes, I better give a bunch of grace when it comes to this. Because my Bible says, and, I, and I'm speaking for you, you can go back here and says, wow, part of the judgment... Was that her heart's bent this way. And to love her well. You better show lots of grace. In this way. And ladies. I, can I just ask you. If, if this is true. And and maybe you guys will come up afterwards. And send emails whatever. And say man you're completely wrong on this point. And I'll gladly fix it. But. Can I just warn you. Don't let the culture pull you that way. <laughs> don't let you, the culture who who seems to devise things that, that makes you say, put down the man, right? I want to be triumphant over the man, which I, I'm all for equality, and I, I'm all for fairness and, and everything because we are made in his image. Both of us, right? But, but don't fall into the trappings where you run along the secular lines that are trumpeting The judgment of God. Right? And I'll let you figure out how all that works. I can give examples, but I know I'll get emails if I do that. I just, I just, ladies, I just want you to see, is it possible that, that, that your heart, because of what he says, he says, I'm judging you. I'm going to change your heart. Okay, You are going to want to rule over your husband, right? If it's, if this is true, then this is kind of like a diagnosis. This is going to the doctor and seeing that you have cancer. And oh, by the way, it's just a tumor. And we're going to clip that bad boy out and, and you're going to be fine. And we know that because Jesus is making everything fine. But would you just ponder that and think on that? And think of maybe how... Your heart has been shaped because of the fall, because of his judgment. And maybe that'll help, help you move forward with marriage, with re- relationships all the way around. Now that I blew up my notes, like I got to figure out where I'm at. We're just going to go to the man. No, let me follow this. Why should we rejoice in the judgment? Okay, I got to make sure I, we hit this before we move on to the guys. On this side of the cross, ladies, on this side of the cross, we can see, this is glorious, this is, this is what we rejoice in. If if he's bent your heart that way that that the, the man that you want to rule over him and he's never going to satisfy you, that is a blessing from God. You know why? Because as you strive and try to put your life and make him the thing or make your family the thing, it's always going to fail you. Where are you going to go? Where should you go? You go to God. You go to him. So your, your domestic life, the, 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 the pain that's in, in childbirth and, and, and the tension that's, that's because of the fall is within your marriage, right? That is a good thing in a way because what it's going to do is going to make you go to God. This isn't going to satisfy you. Because whenever you make this your satisfaction, you're going to end up miserable. And that's why we should rejoice in God's salvation through judgment. Now, let me talk to the guys for a little bit. Genesis 3:17 through 19 says this: And to Adam he said, "Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you; in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field." By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what is the life function of the man? What, what is being cursed? What is the judgment doing? Well, Adam was in the garden, and he's naming the animals, and, and he was cultivating the land. Well, now your life function, meaning your work, your toil, because now It's changed. Right? We, 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 we look in the Bible and it's all about gardening because that's what they did. They got up every day to be able to eat to survive and go back. You know, we're so blessed that we can, maybe we're not blessed, maybe it's part of the curse that we, we spend so little time doing these things and have all this free time to do all these things that we fill our lives with. Right? Well, they didn't back then. They got up. And their sole thing was to eat. You, if you go to Haiti, if you go to a place like that, you see that still today, where people get up and they, and they have one thing in mind, and that is to make sure I get enough food for the day. That's that's their, that's it. That's all they do all day. They don't have time to, to go do extra things. That's all all they're doing. So now now the ground is not going to produce well. It's going to have thorns and thistles. It's been cursed. And our toil is our for our work and it's and it's moved our hearts to where we turn that into a God. And our work is something that we we strive and, and love so much more than God and our family. That's part of the curse, as part of the judgment. So the life function is the working of the land will be painful. And that painful word is the same word. Same Hebrew word used for Eve's pains at birth. It'll be painful. And the relationship is the ground is now cursed. The ground, He cursed the ground. That means as we work it, as we gather for our food and, and do things like that, it'll, it'll bring up weeds and thorns and thistles. There, there was no such thing in the garden before the fall. Adam was commissioned to work and keep the garden. Not, uh, God announces to Adam that the ground is cursed because of his sin. His labor will be painful and sweaty, and the cursed land will bear thorns and thistles for him. Then dust that he is eat to dust, he shall return. Right? Instead of living in a blessed paradise with plenty of food, people will live on an earth that God has cursed. That God is cursed. Now, how specific um, God was in his judgment of Adam. Stop and think about this. Whenever we read the account, we're reading what God says to Adam. What does he say to Adam? What is the specific, what, what did he specifically say? This is what you did wrong, Adam. What did he say? Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Adam obeyed his wife instead of God. Adam obeyed his wife instead of God. Even worse, he stood there and watched his wife be tempted and did nothing to stop it. And did nothing to stop it. He was not fooled. He was fooled, right? The serpent was being conniving, doing what he does. And he... Fooled Eve. That's what uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So what was happening with Adam? What what is the the tendency that that our hearts are bent towards because of this, men? You think I'm going to let you off the hook? Nope. What was he doing? He was passively standing by allowing this to happen. Stand there watching it happen. He was being passive. You know, when, when, when God made Adam, he gave him all these things to do. There was no time to be passive. You're naming animals, you're, you're cultivating the land, you're ruling over my creation. There was no time to be passive. Matt Chandler points out, the Bible continues to tell us that the root sin plaguing fallen masculinity is the sin of Passivity. It can be seen over and over again walking forward from Genesis 3. Whether it's Abraham lying about his wife or Moses making excuses in reply to God's call or Noah slumping into drunken laziness after the flood, the list goes on and on. Pick a man who stumbles and falls in incredible ways and his sin always has a root in some fundamental passivity. So, men, let me just ask you a few questions before we move on. Are you being passive in your pursuit of God? Are you being passive in your pursuit of God? Adolbert Tozer says, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. So if we men fail to make time to read the word, to spend time in prayer and to uh, nurture and relationship with the almighty, you will hold no spiritual power for leading your family or even to lead yourself well. Which leads me to the next question. Are you being passive in your marriage? Husband's. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Tall order, but a clear call, is it not? And thankfully, the Holy Spirit helps us with that. Just because you put a a ring on her finger doesn't mean the pursuit has ended. Start today to actively pursue your wife. On a regular basis. Pursue her. Pursue her. Last question. Are you being passive in discipling your children? Are you being passive in discipling your children? The way you interact with them gives them an understanding of their world. Right? This passage is giving us an understanding of our world. Are you passing that on to them so that they have a biblical worldview, that they understand what God's word says so that they can look at, look at the world around them and make good decisions? Yes, you, you work and toil at your job because of the curse. But you come home, check in on mama, and actively disciple your children and fall into bed because you're exhausted from working, pursuing Christ, pursuing your wife, and pursuing your children. There's a biblical man. That makes for a full day, brothers. It makes for a full day. And that makes for a godly man. That makes for a godly man. And because of the fall, because of judgment, we are bent to just be passive, just to stand around and let things happen. Just like Adam did with Eve, as she was being tempted, as she took of the tree. He could have stopped her. It's our bent. Brothers, I won't say it as, as harshly as... Is Matt Chandler says it, but the worst thing on this planet is a bored male. That is the worst thing on this planet because they will find something (laughs) to get into that is not godly, that is not God honoring. On this side of the cross, we can look back at the judgment of our work and see that it doesn't fulfill. We can toil and toil and toil at our work, and it just doesn't fulfill. Because, so there is so much grace and mercy in that. Because we're going to be working anyway, it's not going to fulfill. Therefore, what do we need to do? We need to go to God to be fulfilled. It will always leave us empty, and that should drive us to God. That should push us to God to find something that does fulfill us, and that is God. The man who had everything, Solomon, gives us a glimpse. Ecclesiastes 2:10 and 11 says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hand had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, and the striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun." Nothing to be gained, brothers. We should rejoice in God's salvation through judgment. We should rejoice that that that, that falls empty and, and it, it says that this is not what we should be pursuing. God is what we are to be pursuing. Lastly, let's look at the serpent. Let's look at the serpent. And in a God's judgment and cursing of the serpent, he reveals his salvation. Genesis 3:14 through15 says this: "The Lord God said to the serpent, "cause you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Notice that God pursued Adam and Eve so they might give repentance, but all they did is pass blame. Not so with Satan. No opportunity to confess his guilt. He just drops the hammer on Satan, on a serpent. What is the life function that he judges them for? He says, you're going to crawl on the ground the rest of your life. God cursed the serpent above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. You will eat dust. Is what he told the serpent. This is a biblical metaphor for humiliation and total defeat. This is the passage that Angela read in Micah, where they're talking about armies that are going to eat dust as as they are humiliated, right? God says, From now on, I want you to see whenever you see a serpent, that's a sign of my curse and my judgment on anybody who tries to put yourself in the place of God. Put yourself on the throne. You will eat dust all your life. You will be frustrated all of our life. We will be frustrated all our lives. We will be empty all of our life if we put ourselves on God's throne. It's a reminder. What is the relationship? The relationship is enmity between you and the woman is what he told the serpent. Hostility. Hostility. That's what enmity is referring to. Also between the offspring. So that means it's carried out throughout history. What we have here is the gospel prophecy because God's curse upon the serpent turned into a word of grace. Verse 15 has been recognized from the second century as the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelion. Do you know what that tells us? This tells us that judgment is God's strange work of grace. I don't mean God is, is not holy. Of course, He is holy and He will punish sin. We see Him carry this out in the rest of the chapter. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and they are prevented from entering anymore. They're they, they prevented so they do not eat of the, the tree of life that they've been eating of all the time. So they're prevented from eating of that so that the, the promised judgment will come to bear, which is death, Right? God's judgment of death has been delayed. God's judgment of sin means banishment from the full presence of the Holy God. And that's the worst part of everything that I've said so far, is that that we're banished from being in the presence of God. God is eager to bless, that even in the midst of judgment, he has to tell us about this, about what he's going to do. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to remedy The sin. The offspring or seed of the woman will fatally strike the serpent's head. Genesis traces the seed of the woman from Adam to Seth to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and Judah. And then the rest of the Bible will follow this trail to David and to the final one that will crush the serpent, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the offspring. It is the seed that is mentioned in verse 15 that that crushes the serpent. When Jesus took his last breath, think about it. When Jesus took the last breath, the curtain that barred people from the presence of God was torn in two. From top to bottom in the temple. This curtain was embroidered most of the time with the cherubim as a reminder that sinful people cannot come into the presence of a holy God. The same cherubim, they kept him out of the garden. Satan's victory turned to his defeat. He thought he won. Jesus, the Son of God, is now dead. I won. No, you just bruised his heel. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.1, from this throne, from Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father... He will judge. He will judge the living and the dead. And the first one to be judged according to Revelation 12 will be who? The serpent. The serpent from Genesis 3. The promise all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Chris read that passage. Revelation twelve, nine through eleven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I have heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Brother and sister, you too will be judged. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us that might be watching us in the inner web world, you will be judged. However, if you are in Christ, your penalty has been paid in full. Through faith in Christ, your ledger has been wiped clean, just like Billy Graham's ticket was paid in full. Through faith in Christ, your ledger has been wiped clean, and you now stand before God as if you did nothing wrong. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross god judged jesus in our place although we live with these our hearts being bent as genesis 3 reveals We know that that Jesus came and He took our penalty and He's been judged in our place. And we've been given a new heart and we are being saved. We are being changed from one glory to another. We have not arrived, but one day we will. We will be glorified and and all this sin that we consistently slip into will be gone. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. It will all be wiped away. We should rejoice in God's salvation through judgment. Have you put your faith in this God? The God that loves us, the God that's just, the God who sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to take the judgment that we deserve. Do you trust him today? Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Lord, we need the Spirit to work in our hearts to reveal the areas that may have been uncovered today. And Lord, here's the thing. We know that we are all in the same boat. This is fallen humanity that we're talking about. There's nothing to be shameful are guilty of because we are in Christ. We can come out of hiding. We can repent of our sins. We can go to you. We can run to the cross. Lord, I pray if there's one here and it's never done that before, Lord, I pray that your spirit has shown them their, their sin and granted faith and repentance and may they turn from whatever they might be trusting in and run to you. And Lord, for those that have been walking with you for a long time, Lord, maybe your word today revealed some things. The cross is still valid for us too. Help us run to you. Give these things to you and ask for your help through your spirit and your word and your family that you've given us to strive to do all things to glorify you. Lord, I pray as we turn to take communion, that Lord, that we will be reminded of your salvation through judgment. ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.